Friends, our scripture lesson today is taken from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Well, it's the start of football season. For some reason, football seems to attract the craziest fans. Whether it's American football or, or soccer, you know, football in the rest of the world, they seem to have the craziest fans. I, I mean, you know, so these are, you know, fans who show up in cold weather, shirtless, with body paint. And by the way, when you see this, this team here, the Falcons, you know who that is? That's the Air Force Academy. So just so you know, this is, this is, our, be this is our best, <laughs> all right, okay? And they are there shirtless with uh, supporting the Air Force Academy Falcons. But when I see this, I'm reminded that that word fan does in fact come from the word fanatic. Okay, that's the, the derivation. So fans comes from fanatics, and, you know, that's the thing, right? We kind of want to be fans, but we don't want to be fanatics. We'd kind of like to ride that line between being a fan of a team and being fanatical. Well, that line kind of comes into play here as we try and, and pick apart this passage where it begins with Jesus talking to large crowds. Now, notice it says that the large crowds were traveling with him. It doesn't use the word followers. See, sometimes it talks about people who are following Jesus. These are people who've elected to go with him. These are people who are kind of checking him out. All right? So you've got large crowds that are coming with Jesus. These are not followers. These are fans. And Jesus decides to tell them some things because he wants to know if they understand what it means to follow him. That he wants them to know that following him, truly following him, isn't just a matter of walking down the road behind him, okay? Isn't just a matter of, of shouting praise to him. Isn't just a matter of saying, yay, Jesus, we are so happy to see what you're doing. There is more involved, and so he tells them that it's harder than they think. See, a lot of times in faith, we try and find this line between fan and fanatic. People want to be fans of Jesus. They don't want to be fanatical. No one wants to be called a religious fanatic, right? That's not a term that most of us would aspire to. But at the end of the day, the, the point isn't to find this line between being a fan and a fanatic. The point is that Jesus needs followers, not fans. Okay? Jesus needs people who are going to go out into the world and actually do what it is that he wants 
Jesus doesn't need us in the stands, whether we are normal fans or going there with our shirts off and in body paint. Jesus actually needs us to be in the game. But he sounds fanatical. In the things he says here, we hear it, and it sounds hard. I mean, when he says things like, so therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions, that sounds pretty pretty fanatical. But I want to remind you of a couple things. You know, a few weeks ago, this word possessions came up in, in a message. It came up a couple times because Jesus talks about it a lot. And one of the things I, I, I said then um, to remind you grammatically is that in the Greek, possessions isn't a noun. It's actually this, this participle. It's about possessing. It's giving up all that you control. So it was a matter of giving up control, giving up the things that you have at your disposal it is this participle that gets translated at, as possessions. So it, it's really about letting go of control. And many times in this passage where Jesus mentions disciple, 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 he mentions it three times in just this handful of verses. And he talks about being a disciple. And, and the essence of being a disciple is being able to surrender yourself to what God wants. See, this word disciple is this Greek word methetis, which means one who engages in learning through instruction from another. It's, it's the type of learning that you get by being an apprentice. Right. I, I don't know if any of you have, have ever been an apprentice of any kind or been in some kind of program where the learning was apprentice-style learning, but there it's right, you're working with a person that's kind of one-on-one, they're kind of showing you what to do, all right, and they're saying, you know, whatever it is, you could be apprenticing in a kitchen, you could be apprenticing in an auto body shop, and, they're, and it's not just textbook learning, they're kind of giving you little hints, they're saying things like, oh, when you see this, watch for that, you know, be careful about this, I always check this before I do that, you know. This is, this is exactly how tight you should turn it. You know, the, all these kinds of things where, where you're doing things under the watchful eye of someone who has the experience, someone who knows, who can tell you how to do it. It's hands-on instruction. It's not academic learning. It's learning how to be in the world the way the, the person you're learning from would show you how to be, all right? And to be a disciple at the end of the day is to be apprenticed to Jesus. This is essentially what the, the style of learning that we're supposed to have is to go through life as if Jesus is the master and we are the apprentice and we are learning from Jesus how it is we should do things. All right? And a big part of learning how you do things is is. You do it the way the, the expert teaches, right? When you're an apprentice, you know, and a person, you know, if you're apprenticing in a kitchen and the person says, this is how you chop an onion, that's how you chop the onion. This is how you hold the knife, right? And sometimes you sit there and go, well, I'm not really comfortable holding this way. It feels a little more natural when I hold it that way. And the person goes, no, believe me, trust me. The way you're doing it is wrong. It may feel comfortable, but you're going to go you're going to go more slowly if you try to go more quickly you're going to cut yourself i guarantee you believe me i've been doing this for 20 years hold the knife the way i tell you to hold them hold the knife right. put your fingers the way i tell you to put your fingers right you do the things the way the person is teaching you 
shows you how to do it. And that's a big part of letting go, right? A big part of being an apprentice is going in with the willingness to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to have the humility to say, the expert knows, the master knows, and I'm going to let go of what I think the right way is in order to let the master show me what the right way is. I'm going to let the master show me how to do it. And so often it does seem contradictory. I mean, I like playing golf, and I remember uh, reading a quote from Ben Hogan where he said, in the golf swing, if it feels right, it's wrong. He said, basically, everything about a good golf swing does not feel comfortable. He says, if you're comfortable, you're doing it wrong. And you have to trust that. I'm not Ben Hogan, all right? <laughs> you know, I I'm going to trust that the person who knows is teaching me how I actually should think, is teaching me how I actually should approach a problem. And that means letting go of my pride, letting me go of, uh, uh, letting go of, of my belief that I have to start with my way. In other words, you don't go to the master and say, I need you to show me how to do things better, but I need you to do it my way. You know, many will just say, well, I can't teach you that. I can't teach you if you insist on sticking to your way. You have to be willing to let go of your way so that I can teach you the way that works. And, and so Jesus is teaching an approach, and the language is, is there to make you understand how stark the contrast is between the way Jesus is teaching us to live and the way we think about it. For example, this, this one. This is a rough one. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. This on its face does not sound very good. It's tough language. But is he really saying to hate your parents? No, of course not. I mean, after all, one of the commandments, right? Honor your mother and father, all right? Honor your mother and father. That's there. It's the commandments. Jesus isn't saying, oh, forget that commandment. Throw it out. It doesn't matter. Don't honor your mother. Don't honor your father. Hate them. Instead, what he's trying to say is that there is a right way to think about this. And to do that, let's look at the word hate. That word hate in the Greek is this word missio. It means to be disinclined to, to disfavor, to disregard, in contrast to giving preferential treatment. In other words, what you can't do is say that the parents are first in the way they can sometimes think they need to be first. And by the way, that word missio, the cognate isn't hate. The, the cognate word that comes into English is words like misery. All right. Misery, you know, it's not hatred. It's like, well, I'd rather not. All right. Would you like some misery? No, thank you. I'd rather not. Okay. Right. In other words, you don't put your parents before God. Rather, you love them and honor them the way God wants you to love them and honor them. All right? When God is first, then you sit there and say, okay, God is first, so I will obey God, and I do have a commandment to honor my mother, honor my father, and so I'm going to do it the way God wants to. All right? And sometimes, right, some people have parents who kind of think they're God. They're not, right? This is a reminder. Your parents are not God. 
Your parents are to be honored. They are your parents. So you honor your mother, you honor your father, but you honor them the way God wants you to honor them, not the way they may tell you to honor them. All right. There was um, a professor, a theologian named Dallas Willard, and years ago he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. It was a great book. He writes a lot about discipleship. And one of the ways he expresses this idea of doing things the way God wants you to, and, and that is the definition of being a disciple, is this. Here's what he wrote. He said, I'm learning from Jesus how to lead my life, my whole life, my real life. Note, please, I am not learning from him how to lead his life. Right? He's not learning to be Jesus because he's not going to be Jesus, but rather he's learning from Jesus how to be him. All right? we're, we're not learning from Jesus how to be Jesus because we're not going to be Jesus, but we do need to learn from Jesus how to be us, how to be the best us, and how to be that in every facet of our lives. See, what we can't do is be the fan who roots for a team, but at the end of the day, whether the team wins or loses doesn't matter. I mean, I used to watch, you know, I remember my dad would say this to me all the time. I'd be, you know, watching, you know, I'm from Chicago, I'd watch a Bears game or a Cubs game, and I'd get really upset about them, which happens a lot if you're a Bears fan or a Cubs fan, all right? So I'd get upset about them, and my dad would sometimes see me getting upset, and he'd say, so what do you get if they win? Do you get anything? They pay you? No. At the end of the day, there was that part of my life where I am a fan of these teams. But it's also a very separable part of my life. And sometimes we tend to do that. Sometimes we tend to take our faith and partition it off and say, yes, I'm a, I'm a fan of Jesus when I'm thinking about my faith and then in the rest of my life, I'm not. Professor Willard, who's since gone to be with the Lord, by the way, has, goes on to write, he says, to be a disciple of Jesus is crucially to be learning from Jesus how to do your job as Jesus himself would do it. Because everything in our lives is a part of following Jesus, and this is actually what it means to put Jesus first in our lives. When you put Jesus first in your life, it's not a matter of putting everything else down. Putting Jesus first in your life is simply saying that I'm going to do everything the way Jesus would have me do it. There's nothing I'm going to do apart from the way Jesus would have me do it, and Jesus would want me to do it well. All right. How would you do it? How would you be a, a, a how would you be a Christ-like salesperson? Well, you'd be honest, right? You would never lie. You'd extol the virtues of your product. You would be worrying about good customer service because you would always want to care about your customer and make sure you are matching your customer up with the best product that would serve their needs. Okay. You'd be doing your job the way Jesus himself would do it. Right? If you're an engineer, you'd, you'd be precise. You'd have attention to detail, right? Whatever, you would do your job well to the best of your ability. You wouldn't take shortcuts doing things the way Jesus would have you do it. And this is something that we do and have to do as followers. As followers of Christ, all right, when we don't do everything in our lives the way Christ would do it, it discredits the faith. Right. Okay. I mean, if, if your plumber announces that 
you know, he or she is a, is a Christian and then does a really lousy job, right? that's not a credit to either them as a plumber or as a Christian. They should be doing their job the way Jesus would have them do it, which is to do it with proper care, right? to do it with competence. Because, right? I, I mean, we always remember that Jesus, the son of a carpenter, was likely a carpenter, and I suspect he built things well. He wouldn't sit there and say, well, this actually has nothing to do with my role as a savior, so who cares if these shelves fall down? All right, that wouldn't be the way Jesus would operate, right? It makes no sense. And so if we're going to follow Christ, this becomes a burden on our lives all the time, that everything we do, we're trying to do the way Jesus would do it. And so when Jesus says this, he says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. By the way, the, the version that Presbyterians tend to use, the NRSV, takes away a possessive here. Uh, you'll read it in other translations as carry his cross, which is actually uh, more accurate to the Greek. Who does not carry his cross? Because it's your burden. Right? It's not just the cross. It's not someone else's cross. It's not just a cross that's lying around. It's the one that applies to your life. All right? But here's another thing about this. When we talk about carrying the cross, we often think back to Christ carrying his cross, right, on the way to be crucified. So we think about that, and we think about him doing it, we think about it as a singular act, but that's actually not what this phrase implies. When you look at the tense in the Greek, it's a tense that's used that, that implies continual action. Right? Anyone who is not carrying your cross. You are carrying your cross and you continue to carry your cross. And if you're not willing to continually carry the burden of discipleship, right, then you really can't be a disciple. It's not a one-time action. It's something that you are continuing to do through your entire life. And it's the burden of doing things the way Christ would do them. And that's what Jesus is saying to those crowds that were following him. If you're going to follow me, you are taking up a burden which does not end. You are taking up a continuing burden to do things as I would do them, as I would teach you to do them, to look at life, all of your life, the way I will show you to look at it. And you'll keep doing it, and you'll keep doing it, and you'll keep doing it that way. And if you're not willing to do that. You can't be apprenticed to me. Dallas Willard, Professor Willard, continued to write that. He said, look, the specific work to be done, whether it is making axe handles or tacos, selling automobiles or teaching kindergarten, is of central interest to God. What interests God is how we live, not just toward God, but how we live overall. Is there a part of my life God isn't interested in? No. God's interested in the entirety of my life and how I live the entirety of my life. Therefore, the entirety of my life is to be lived in the way God would have it be. And as we are on this Labor Day weekend where we talk about labor, let's, let's remember that our labor is also a part of glory to God. Everything we do is godly. Because all of our lives is a part of what God has called us to do. And so Professor Willard concludes, he says, God wants it well done. 
It is work that should be done, and it should be done as Jesus himself would do it. And imagine what our world would be like if everybody did that. If everybody simply did their jobs well. If everybody did their jobs, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about just paid work. Whatever it is, paid work, unpaid work, whatever it is that you do. If you go over to help a friend, you know, clean out their house or move, you know, with their stuff, do you do, you do it well? You know, you don't just sit there and say, well, what do they expect? I'm doing it for free. So I'm just going to throw stuff in the... No, you don't do it that way, right? It doesn't matter if it's paid work or unpaid work. Whatever it is that you're doing, you do it. You do it with quality and care. And when we do that, you see, when we do this and say we're going to do this all because God comes first in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, it's not putting everything down. You see, that's the thing about this passage. In, when we put God first, it's not putting everything else down. In fact, it is elevating everything. Doing everything to the glory of God elevates everything we do. Doing everything to the glory of God then puts us in a position of saying, okay, my entire life is to the glory of God, so everything I do is a part of my devotion to God. And that actually elevates everything. It keeps us from dividing our lives into saying, this is the godly part, and that's the part that's not godly, so I don't care about it, so it's less. Instead, we elevate it. It gives everything purpose. Because again, there's nothing that's just a throwaway. Everything has purpose because our, our work, whatever it is, paid or unpaid, when it's done well, it glorifies God. And our task is to continue to get better at these things, to continue to learn the way Christ would have us do it. See, at the end of the day, ours is an apprenticeship that never ends. When we follow Christ, we are apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. And we're continuing to learn. We're continuing to have, um, to have the master show us new things. I love watching cooking shows. And I've heard stories about how some of these really renowned chefs will actually spend time in another great chef's kitchen because they want to learn some more. So you have people, I mean, not all of them, but the truly great ones will do that. The truly great ones could win a Michelin star and still look at what another chef does and say, I need to learn how to do that because it will make me better. And so in our own lives, we never actually become the master in this sense, right? We never become Christ. We never become the person who knows it all. We never rise to that level. Instead, we remain the apprentice forever. We remain the apprentice for the rest of our lives. We keep learning. We keep asking Jesus to show us how should we do our t the task in front of us the way you would do it. And we ask it, and we ask it, and we ask it about everything. Because our real goal is to do everything we do as Jesus would. Amen.